on the last day. Yes, this all-time power was given to our fathers who were true. This is promised to believers, and we all may have it too. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. need that power, don't we? Amen. What a great song. Let's pray for that power. Let's pray the Lord to fill us with His power. Every time we come to church, that His power be on us. Well, how many of you are warm tonight? Amen. How many of you are praying for snow? God forgive you and help you. Amen. We all just have an invitation right now. You that raised your hand, I'll come to the altar. <laughs> no snow for me. Listen. It snows anymore, I'm going to move to Florida. Amen. And not West Palm Beach either. Amen. I think we ought to shout tonight. This mess, it seems like this mess is finally over. And we, you know, regardless of who you voted for, it's just good. It appears that it is over. But I, was, I thought about something that's coming to church tonight, thinking about it and praying about the future of the country and where it's going, different things. And, and I just thought about the Lord ruleth in the affairs of man. And he's on the throne, and he just takes care of it. And we never have to worry about that. We know he's in charge. Amen. Well, let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless tonight and move in this service and to work in our hearts in a very, very special way. Peter, Denise, you lead us in prayer, please. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Amen. Let's continue to sing. to trust and obey. 
You may be seated. A set of ushers come forward to receive our offering. As they do so, let me just remind you of one announcement that we've been showing on the screen, and that concerns Aaron and Chantel. They'll be moving here in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. He's going to actually start with us on the 18th, but uh, they'll be moving somewhere between the 18th and the first of the year. And we've been showing a little uh, announcement on there. We want to give them a pounding. That is, whenever they move, we want to be able to go in and load their cabinets up with groceries and things. Now, I need every one of you to help me. This Sunday, uh, all of you bring some canned goods or something. We'll have a box or a barrel out there and just put it in there and so that we can uh, help them when they come and do that for them. But you, you help me on that Sunday. Just bring a bunch of canned goods, uh, anything they could use in their house, stuff like that cleaning supplies and things, and we'll give them a good pounding. But uh, So you bring that on Sunday. Also, let me say happy birthday to Mary Jo. Tomorrow's her birthday. Patty had one a few weeks ago, and she let it slip by on me, but uh, Mary Jo turns 48 tomorrow. So let's give a good hand. We appreciate Mary Jo. She's a blessing. We appreciate all of our ladies and the music and the talents God has given them and they use for us. But you be sure to let her know how much you love her. Let's pray. And everything you give on Wednesday night now goes in support of the Bible Conference. And uh, I spoke yesterday in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, to the Tennessee Baptist Bible Fellowship. Preachers from all over the state of Tennessee. And one of the men sitting there at the table with me he comes to the conference and he said, Brother Trivet, said the conference is a real blessing to me. He said there's something special about the conference. And so the Lord uses this all over the country. And everything you give now goes to help support that and to be able to provide lodging and food and things like that. So you give tonight and the Lord will bless you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to give to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've entrusted us with something, Lord, that has literally touched lives all over this country. And we thank you for it. And we ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless uh, that which you've given us. And we pray you bless the offering tonight. And may folks get a burden for their giving in this matter that we might do more. And you seemingly, Lord, just bless us more and more every year. So bless the giving now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's take our Bibles and tur turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. A singer defines the word eternity as those moments when you're waiting for the soundtrack to begin. That's the longest few seconds in a person's life waiting for them to get started. I praise the Lord for all the things God has given this generation to use for His service and all the tools and all the equipment and different things, but even at the best, uh, you'll have those moments when they go wrong. Well, if you were with us last uh, Wednesday night, we began to think about uh, Elijah, and we're approaching Elijah's life by going on the road with Elijah. And last Wednesday night, we got on board the bus with Elijah, and we went down to a place called Kareth. Many people call it Cherith, but it's actually pronounced Kareth. And tonight, we want to pack up and get back on the bus and we want to go to a place called Zarephath. Would you stand as we honor the reading of His Word? 1 Kings 17, and we begin reading in verse 8, and we're going to think about, let's go to Zarephath with Elijah. It's only been a couple of months ago, three or four months ago, that I brought a message from this particular story in our series on lessons from women in the Bible. But uh, I'm not going to bring the same message tonight. I'm going to approach the story a little bit different and quite a bit different than I did then. But that's one good thing, amazing thing about the Scriptures. You can deal with it one week, turn right around the next week, and get all together different thoughts from it. For the Word of God is living, and it's always fresh, and you can never exhaust it. But tonight we'll go to Zarephath with Elijah, and we'll learn a few things about what went on at Zarephath. But notice beginning in verse 8. The Bible said, The Word of the Lord came unto him, 1 Kings 17, 8, saying, Arise, get thee the Zarephath, which belongeth to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it to me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went, and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days." And a barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's go to Zarephath with Elijah tonight, and we'll learn a few things about what went on in Zarephath in the life of Elijah. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we are grateful that we can come before you tonight and be able to say in our heart that it is well with our soul. 
We thank you, Lord, that it is well because of Christ and because of what he's done for us and the forgiveness of sins. But we're not only thankful, Lord, that he's right positionally, but we're glad, Lord, that we can come before you and to the best of our knowledge be able to say, Lord, we don't know of one thing in our heart or life that displeases thee. Father, help us to be able to say it is well with our soul and to live before you and walk before you and with you in a way that honors and glorifies you. Now, Lord, help us to glean from this wonderful story in the Bible. Open our hearts tonight. Give us a word from God in this midweek service. Just like the word of the Lord came to Elijah, may the word of the Lord come to us tonight. May we hear from you. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God might say. And we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake we ask these things. Amen. Just to remind you of what we are doing, last Wednesday night I said what we would do is look at the life of Elijah. But instead of looking at every little detail of the life of Elijah, one of the ways you can look at his life is just by traveling with him. And as you travel with him from place to place, you kind of highlight the life of this man of God. And just in the highlights of his life, you find many, many wonderful lessons. Last Wednesday night, we kind of put it this way, that we'd just get on the bus with Elijah. And for a few weeks, we'd travel with him and go from here to there with Elijah. And we'd look at things that occurred at different places in the life of Elijah. Our first stop last week, as I said a moment ago, is in a place called Kareth. And Cherith, as many as pronounced it. But Kareth, you find in 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you remember, we saw that the name Kareth is a name or a word that describes a ditch or a ravine or a gorge. Chapter 17, verse 3 said it was before Jordan. The ideal is that the little brook of Kareth, uh, Kareth, it fed the Jordan, fed into the Jordan River. But being before Jordan gives us an idea of where it is. And, of course, as we study geolo or ge geogra geography in the Bible, we find that it is near or literally behind the city of Jericho, where Jericho used to be and whatever. We saw that it was a place of hiding. God had told Elijah, I want you to go hide there. And, of course, he went there to hide, and God was doing basically two things, in my opinion. One, he was protecting the man of God. For he just announced to Ahab that it was not going to rain for three and a half years. Even though it was the word of God, no doubt Elijah would bear the brunt of it. And so for this period of time, God hid Elijah in this place called Kareth. But in my opinion, it was much more a place of preparation than it was a place of protection. For God could have took care of Elijah and him been right in the palace of Ahab. He didn't have to hide him to protect him. God could have took care of Elijah in any situation under any circumstance. But I think the hiding here, and the word hiding literally means to absent oneself. The reason God absent, and that is put Elijah on the sidelines or put him out of the limelight for a while, was because there were some things that he wanted to teach Elijah. And we saw that Kareth was a place of listening. He learned to hear the voice of God. God spoke and he listened to God's voice. He detected the voice of God. It was a place of leaning as he trusted God. And he would not have made it if he hadn't leaned upon the promises of God. A place of listening, a place of leaning, and of course a place of learning. For there he would learn many things about God and he would learn how God could take care of him. That was our first stop traveling around with Elijah. 
Our second stop tonight is in a place called Zarephath. Now, I'm going to put a little map on the screen here so you can get an idea of where we're coming from and a place to where we are going. And you can see the map up here on the screen. And you'll find over here, you see right here, Kareth Ravine. And that's how it's pronounced or spelled to them, Kareth Ravine. That's where he was in our last stop. But if you kind of go northwest, you'll find up there in the corner next to the Mediterranean Sea, you find the place called Zarephath. It's about 100 miles away from the ravine of Kareth or the brook Kareth. The name Zarephath comes from a word that means smelting pot, a smelting shop, I should say. A smelting shop was a workshop for the refining of silver, the refining of gold, the refining of metals. It is where someone would build a fire and would heat the metal and get it very hot to get the dross and the impurities out of that metal. It is the name Zarephath. It means a melting or a smelting shop. Now, what is so interesting about Zarephath, as you see on the map there, it was way up in the north area there. It was a small Phoenician town on the seacoast of the Mediterranean Sea. It is mentioned in the New Testament one time, but today it is known as Seraphine in the, in the land today. If you were to go there, it would not be called Zarephath, but Seraphine. But here's what is interesting about the place that God is now sending Elijah. He has sent him down to a ravine, to a wild, barren, rocky gorge, and there for a period of time he has sustained him. But now the will of God and the word of God is sending Elijah to Zarephath. Now here's what is interesting. Zarephath was a Gentile town. It was in a Gentile land. Kareth was down in the Holy Land. It was in the land of promise, the land that God had given the children of Israel. But now God is leading his servant to leave God's land and to go into a pagan land. He is sending him into a Gentile land. And even, what, even more interesting, it is in this area of Zarephath and Zidon, this is the home of Queen Jezebel, the one who murdered the prophets of God. You see, God has taken him out of one dangerous situation and putting him right in another dangerous situation. Down in Kareth there, there is the danger of Ahab taking his life. But now God moves him out of one dangerous area and moves him into another dangerous area. And if Queen Jezebel found out that Elijah, being a prophet, was there, then his name would be on a wanted list as well. On top of that, Zarephath, Zidon, was the home of Baal worship. Here is a man of God now in God's land, being brought out of God's land by God, putting into a pagan land, and not only putting him in a dangerous situation, but putting him into a defiled situation. He is now putting Elijah in a hot bed of worship, of idol worship and pagan worship. Well, you see God, his strange workings in the life of Elijah, God leading him from one situation and God putting him into another situation. But yet as I think about God's moving in Elijah's life, moving from Kareth up to Zarephath, I think of a little saying that I used for a number of years when I was doing the broadcast, radio broadcast. Every day I would close out the radio broadcast with this little saying. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. And when I think about this story of God leading him from one place into another place, 
He's not leading from a place of luxury into another place of luxury. No, he's had him over there in a barren, rocky ravine. Now he's putting him in another place where his life would be in danger. No, God is not moving him into an easy situation. He's moved him from one set of circumstances to another set of circumstances. And I am mindful that God doesn't always remove the problems of life, but here's one thing you'd be absolutely certain of. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. Can I get an amen right there? God will take care of us. He may lead you to a difficult place, but God will take care of you no matter where you are at. So saying all that, I want us to glean these three thoughts from Elijah's trip to Zarephath. Write them down, follow them in the Bible. The first thing that my heart is drawn to when I read this story is the dependability of the message of God. The dependability of the message of God. You notice verse 8 of our text again. The Bible said in, in 1 Kings 17, 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, say. Now here's the word of God coming to Elijah. Now that's not new to Elijah. You notice back in verse 2, we looked at this last Wednesday night. The Bible said, And the word of the Lord came unto him, say. At Kareth, or going to Kareth, the word of God came to Elijah. Now the word of God comes again to Elijah. Here is the message of God. Here is the word of God being received by the servant of God. But here's what I want you to see, and that's the message that he got. You notice in verse 9, there is one word there that is the key word to the message that he gets from God. Verse 9 said, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Underscore the word sustain. That is the key word of the message of God to Elijah. Here is the word of God coming to Elijah. Here is the word of God, the message of God coming to Elijah. And what God is saying to Elijah is, I am going to sustain thee. God had sustained, sustained him to this point. Now he gets another word from God. Now he gets another promise from God. The word and a message and a promise that God is going to sustain him. In other words, what you have in verse 8 is God giving Elijah a promise. It is God assuring Elijah that he will take care of him and meet his needs. I want to remind you tonight, just as the word of God came to Elijah, in fact, the word that came to Elijah from God now has become a word to my heart. It has now become a word to all of our hearts. We have this word from God. It is the promise of God that no matter where we are, God will sustain us. And no matter where we're at, what we're going through, God will take care of his children. But look at the message that he got. I point out two things about the message. The message was that God would sustain him, but I think about, first of all, the timeliness of the message. The timeliness of the message. Notice back in verse 7. He's been down at Kareth, a little old brook there that flowed through that ravine. In fact, a little old brook that was usually dry in the summertime. And the only time was ever water in a little brook there was when the snows of Mount Hermon melted and the waters flowed down and they'd flow into the little brook and into the Jordan River. But most time during the summertime it was dry. But we read in verse 7 of chapter 17, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. 
Now, here is God. He had sent him over there in a ravine, out away from everywhere, a good place to hide, whatever. He's isolated from everyone and everything. He's over there in the brook, or in the, in the, in the ravine, and God has used a little brook to take care of him. But now the brook has dried up. But it was at that hour that he gets another word from God. God has met the need of Elijah. God has sustained Elijah. God has provided for Elijah. But now the brook dries up. But yeah, in the hour that the brook dries up, once again he hears from God. And once again he gets a promise from God that God is going to take care of him and God is going to sustain him. Aren't you glad tonight that God knows when we need a word from him? Aren't you glad that God knows what we're going through? And he knows exactly when we need to hear from him. He knows exactly what we need to hear. And there are times in our life that our brook dries up, but it's in those hours that we hear from God. I think about Hebrews 4, 16. The Bible said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'm indebted to G. Campbell Morgan for his interpretation of that statement in the time of need. Morgan said it literally means in the nick of time. Now, God knows when we need to hear from him. And it may be just in the nick of time, but God knows when we need a word. Again, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And just when you need him most, that's when God always shows up, the timeliness of the message. But something else I point out, and that is you find in verse 9, the truthfulness of the message. There is not only the timeliness of the message. God said to Elijah, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Now I'm going to sustain thee. Came at the moment that the brook dried up. But he said in verse 9, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now that word command has the idea of appointing someone. It's not so much that God was saying, now I've already talked to her about this matter and I've given her a command that when she sees you, she's got to take care of you. We'll say more about that in just a moment. No, the ideal is that God had arranged things and God had appointed a widow woman to supply the need of Elijah. You see, the appointments of God always include his arrangements and the promises of God always includes his provisions. You see, what God was doing and what God was saying to Elijah is, I've got everything under control. The brook dries up. It's when the hour in the brook dries up that God gives him a word, and the word that he gets is, look, I am going to sustain thee. It's the promise of God. I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to take care of you. I'm working behind the scenes. I have appointed things. I have arranged things. I have anointed things to take care of you. He's saying, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. In essence, what God is saying to Elijah is, look, my word is true. I, am, I have made you a promise. I keep my promises. I want you to understand something tonight, that God, he knows when we need a word. And he knows where we're at, and he knows when to, to give us what we need and when to speak to our hearts and to give us the word that we need. But I want to assure you of one thing, that whenever God says he's going to do something, you mark it down, God will do what he said. I believe this Bible to be true. I don't have any trouble. I hear these knotheads that believe this portion of the Bible shouldn't be there and this shouldn't have been put in there and this ought to be omitted. Listen, listen. I don't have any trouble with the Bible. This is the Word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. There's not one word that should not be here. There's not one word that should be here that's not here. This is the Word of God. 
I don't have any trouble with that. And furthermore, I believe every word in it. God's promises are true. I read about a farmer that wrote this mail order company, and he wrote on this note. He said, please send me one of those gasoline engines you saw on page 785, and if it's any good, I'll send you a check for it. He received the following reply, please send us a check, and if it's any good, we'll send the engine. Well, I want you to know something tonight. You never have to wonder if the promises of God are good. They're all good. They're true. And if God made you a promise, you can believe it. And here is the truthfulness of the message of God. You never have to wonder in the dependability of the promises of God. God's promises are true. When David Livingston first sailed for Africa, he was met at the pier by a number of friends, fearful of his safety, seeking to persuade him not to go. And Livingston opened his Bible and he read to them the final words of the Gospel of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the world. And he looked up at his friends and he declared, That, my friend, is the word of a gentleman. Let us be going. What David Livingston was saying is, Look, God's word is true. And what God said he'd do, he'll do. And you can depend on the word of God. Someone as well said you cannot break God's promises by leaning on them. The promises of God are reliable. And here is the message of God to Elijah. It came in a very timely hour, but a message with the assurance, I have taken care of things. I will sustain thee. You learn something about the dependability of the message of God. But there's something else my heart was drawn to as I thought about this story again. Not only the dependability of the message of God, but the diversity of the methods of God. The diversity of the methods of God. Again, you have in this story God supplying Elijah's needs. But as you look at God supplying Elijah's needs, you find a diversity of God's methods in doing so. For example, chapter 17, verse 4. We looked at this last week. God said it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God used a raven down at Carith. He had Elijah's breakfast uh, flown in every morning. And he had Elijah's dinner flown in every afternoon. And I'll assure you that it wasn't normal airline food that he got, amen? Listen, there, there's not worse, any worse food in the world than what you get on an airplane. I believe that they could take it and take it to a science lab and study it and try to develop into worse food. They couldn't do it. It's the worst you can get. But a God flew in his meal every day and it's a good meal. He took care of him by a raven in chapter 17, verse 4. But look at verse 9. He said in verse 9, he said, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Verse 4, he said, I have commanded ravens to feed thee. Now, he said, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. You see, here is God meeting Elijah's needs. But the methods of God vary in the process. He uses a fowl in the air on one occasion, but now he uses a widow with her own needs on the other occasion. He uses a raven in one time, one time, but he uses a woman the next time. God is meeting the needs of Elijah, but the methods of God are diverse in how God is doing so. I am reminded tonight not only of the dependability of the message of God, but I'm also reminded of the diversity of the methods of God. I think about God's work in our life, and I am mindful tonight that God's methods in our life often vary. 
that God does things in our lives oftentimes in different ways. And how God may move in my life may not be the way He'll move in your life. And how what God does in my life may not be what He'll do in your life. And what He does in yours may not be how He'll work in mine. You see, God does things and He keeps His Word, but the methods of God vary in the process. Now, when I think about the methods of God and the diversity of the methods of God, what does it say about God? Three simple things, write them down. Number one, it speaks to us of God's right. You see, when I think about God doing here, taking care of Elijah with a raven over here and a widow woman over here, and I think about God doing it in two different ways, I think, first of all, that God has a right to do it any way he wants to. You understand that tonight? God has a right to do anything he wants to in my life and in your life. Now, we often get upset because God does it this way, and we say, well, why did he do it in my life the way he did it for so-and-so's life? I want you to understand something tonight. God has a right to do anything he wants to. And he has a right to do it any way he wants to. If he wants to do it in your life one way, he has a right to do so. And if he wants to do it in my life in another way, he has a right to do so. If he wants to do it in a way that we approve of, he has the right to do so. But if he wants to do it in a way that we don't approve of, he still has the right to do so. See, God's not restricted by my will. And he's not restrained by my wishes. And he is not refrained by what I want. No, he's God. And because he's God, he can do whatever he wants to do, whether I agree with it or not. It's his right. His methods may vary, and he has a right to do it any way he wants to. But not only does it speak to us of God's right, but second of all, it speaks to us of God's rule. Now think with me for a moment. Over here he used a raven. Over here he used a widow. When I see God taking both a raven and a widow, I am reminded that God is in absolute charge of things. He has a right to do it any way he wants to. has a right to use a raven one time. has a right to use a widow the next time. But he can use them because he is in charge. You take that raven over there. All God had to do was say, take this meal down to Elijah, and the raven headed off. All God had to do every day was speak to the ravens, and the ravens brought the food that the man of God needed. You see, he rules over everything. He rules over the ravens. He rules over the widows. When I see this raven being used of God, I'm reminded that all things God has created bow to the authority of God. He is ruler. He reigns. And everything is in submission to his sovereignty. And everything is in submission to his lordship. The wind in the Bible obeyed God. The seas in the Bible obeyed God. The fowl of the air obeyed God. The trees obeyed God. The fish obeyed God. A donkey obeyed God. A rooster obeyed God. The sun obeyed God. The rain obeyed God. Everything God created is that they bows at the feet of the Creator and they bow to His Lordship. He has a right to do it any way He wants to. He rules, therefore He can do whatever He wants to. But not only does the diversity of His methods speak to us of His right and of His rule, but also of His reason. You see, God had a reason for using a raven over here and He also had a reason for using a widow over here. You see, I'm mindful tonight that God has a right to do whatever he wants to. His methods vary. There is a diversity in how he does things, but he always has the right to do it any way he wants to. He rules and reigns in charge of all things, therefore he can do whatever he wants to. But furthermore, I want you to understand something. He always has a reason in why he does things he does. He had a reason why he used a raven. I may not know what the reason is, but he had a reason. 
And he had a reason why he used a particular widow woman. I think I understand a little bit why he used the widow woman. We'll point out in just a moment. But he may have worked differently over here and worked differently over here, but he had a reason behind everything that he did. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. God just doesn't do things just for the matter of doing them. God's not a God that is trying to get attention. He doesn't do something so somebody would brag on him. He doesn't do something so uh, he can get all the, the, so that someone here will say this about God. No, I want you to understand something. Anytime God does something, there is a purpose behind what he does. Now, I think about what happens in our lives again. Now, God may work in our lives in different ways. He may work in your life at this time in one particular way, and then at another stage in your life, he may work in a totally different way. He may work in someone else's life totally different than how he's working in yours and vice versa. But I want you to understand, son, however he does it, he has a right to do it, he can do it, but furthermore, he always has a reason in why he's doing it and the way he's doing it. He has a reason why he uses ravens in our life at this point. And he has a reason for a number of years in South Africa. But I think it's something I ran across a number of years ago, filed it away. I have never forgot this. But it was a little article. He said, in times of trouble, this is what you ought to say. And I say it to you because it brings out the point that I'm making tonight. Here's what Andrew Murray said. In times of trouble, say first, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place, in that I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. Therefore, Murray said, say... I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. That's wonderful. But if I were to sum it all up, what he said, basically this is what Murray was saying, Andrew Murray was saying, God has a reason. No matter where we are in life, no matter what he is doing in our life, no matter how he is working in our life, God always has a reason. That's one glorious thing about what's going on in the life of a believer. There are no accidents in the life of a believer. There are only appointments in the life of the believer. And therefore, no matter what is going on in our lives, we have this assurance God has a reason. We may not, it, the, the, there may be differences in how he works in our life, a diversity in his methods, but there is always a reason behind that Diversity. Are you with me now? Say amen. There's a third and a final thing I gleaned from the story. I thought about this passage over again. I thought about my heart was drawn to the dependability of the message of God and the diversity of the methods of God. But there was a third thing that got my attention, and I confess to you that I never thought about it in this story, and that is the discernment of the moving of God. The discernment of the moving of God. You say, Brother Kim, what are you talking about? As I thought about this story, I see God moving. I see how God is working in the story. As God is working here on the behalf of Elijah, but I also see God doing something and working on the behalf of the widow woman. 
And when I thought about how God was moving in the story and the moving of God in the story, I was attracted to how each one of them discerned what God was doing. For example, notice Elijah first of all. And you see what God was doing was understood by Elijah. Elijah understood what God was doing. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10, you have the story. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, not a widow woman, but the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. He meets this woman, says, Get me a drink of water if you don't mind, please. And so she goes to get a drink of water. Well, she starts to go, Elijah said, If you wouldn't mind, would you get me something to eat? And this is how she responded. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I don't have a loaf of bread. All I've got is a handful of meal in a barrel. And really what she said is, I don't know that it would make a cake. I don't know, just a little handful. She said, I got a little oil in the cruise. That is what she would use to make the bread. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks. She said, it's so bad that I'm gathering up some firewood that I may go in and, and dress what little bit we have for me and my boy that we may eat it and die. Elijah says to her, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said. Go fix the bread. Go do what you said you were going to do. But first of all, feed me. Make me a little cake first, bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. Elijah says to her, now you go do what you said. You said you're going to take your handful of meal and your little bit of oil, and you're going to make you some bread there, and you're going to eat it. He said, you go ahead and do that. You make the bread and whatever, but you give it to me first. Let me eat first, and then you and your son eat. Say in verse 14, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, unto the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Now you notice in verse 10 that she is called the widow woman. Not a widow woman. I said that a moment ago, the widow woman. Very emphatic. Now what it simply means and mean by that is that when Elijah come into town, there was the widow woman. Now, God had said to him, look, I've got a little widow woman up there in Zarephath that I have appointed to sustain thee. And when he goes in the town, he sees this woman, and he immediately knows that's the woman God was talking about. He knew that was God's appointment. So he walks up to her, begins a conversation, asks for some water. She says, okay. Then he asks for food. She explains his situation. Now, Elijah knew this was the one God had chosen. And so he approaches her, and her poverty becomes known. Her circumstances become known. She has just a little handful of meal. She's planning on fixing it, and then die. She has no hope. It's a famine in the land. It's a drought in the land. Everybody is starving. Everything is in terrible condition. And so she's planning on dying. But Elijah makes the most unusual command. He said, do what you plan on doing, but make me a little cake first. Now you say, how insensitive can a man of God be? Here's a little widow woman down to nothing, and, a little, and she's got a boy, and here he is saying, you forget about you and the boy first. You put me first on the totem pole. You say, how insensitive could he be? I want you to understand something. This is not the story of an insensitive prophet. This is the story of a man that knows what God is doing. 
This is a man that is very much aware. This is the woman. This is one God told me back about 100 miles ago. This is the woman God said he had appointed. When I come into town, the Holy Ghost said, there she is. And so Elijah knows this is the one God has appointed to meet his needs. Now he discovers she's got needs. But Elijah knows the truthfulness of the message of God. And Elijah says to himself, she may have a need, but God's appointed her to meet my need. So if she is going to be used of God to meet my need, and if she's got a need in her life, then God's going to meet her need in order that she might meet my need. See, Elijah is very much aware what God is doing. He is very much aware of what God is up to. It's very, very clear he understands that. And I say to you, there are times in our life when it's very clear what God is doing. There are times in our life when God is working in our life, there may be a diversity in the methods of God, but there is no doubt what he's up to. We know what he's doing. I remember one time visiting someone in the hospital, and I remember them saying to me, I know why I'm in the hospital. They hadn't been in church like they should. And when I walked in, the first thing they said to me was, Brother Ken, I know why I'm in the hospital. They understood why they were in there. They knew that God was getting their attention. There are times in our life that we know what God is doing. Elijah understood what God was doing. But look at the widow. There was what God was doing. What God was doing was understood by Elijah, but what God was doing was unknown by the widow. Now, here is this widow woman, and it's very obvious to me that she has no idea she's been appointed of God. God had chosen her. God had arranged things. God had appointed her. But when Elijah comes and says, feed me, she said, we don't have anything. We're going to go fix what we got and die. She has no idea that she has been appointed of God. She has no idea what God is doing in her life. She has no idea that what God is doing is he's going to meet the need of the man of God, and in so doing, he's going to meet her need as well. She doesn't know what God is doing. She doesn't know there's a God behind everything that's going on. So I believe she knew God, but she's not aware of what God is doing. She's not aware of the work of God. She's not aware of the moving of God, but she's soon to find out God is behind all things. But what she did when Elijah said, this is what I want you to do, she obeyed the man of God, she followed the message of God, and she trusted God, and God met her needs. What I'm saying is this. Elijah knew exactly what God was doing. But the widow woman had no idea what God was doing. There are times in our life when we know what God is doing. But there are also times in our life when we have no idea what God is doing. Have you ever been there? When there was something going on in your life and you, God, was doing something, but you, you didn't know what it was? We've all been there. I don't know why I'm going through this, Brother Kim. Why did this happen in my life? Why is God letting this come? There's a lot of times in our life when God is working in our life that we have no idea what he's doing. But I promise you one thing, when we cannot trace him, we can always trust him. There are times in the God's moving in our life that we do know what he's doing, but there are times we don't know what he's doing. What is the message to us in those times? Verse 13, fear not. And why do we not have to fear? Verse 14, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel. There's no need of fear. It's just a matter of faith. There's no need of having a troubled heart. It's a matter of having a trusting heart. We may not know where he's going. We may not know what he's doing in our life, but one thing is for certain. As I said, he always has a reason. 
I may not know the reason. I may not know what he's doing in my life. But one thing is for certain, I can put it in the hands of God. She trusted God. And God met her needs. And he took care of her and not only took care of her, but I love what we read there just a moment ago, verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house for many days did eat. Did eat many days. She had her needs met for many days. Elijah had his needs met for many days. And her house had her needs met for many days. You see, she trusted God. God met her need, met Elijah's need as well as her son's need. You see, we may not know what he's doing, but here's the good thing about it. He is doing. That's all that matters to us. That, that should be the only thing that matters to you is that he's doing something. You may not know what. You may not know how. You may not know why. But just the fact that he's doing something, that's all you need to know. And just put it in his hands. He has the right to do whatever what he wants to. Then just say, dear God, it's yours. I thank you that you're up to something in my life. I'll trust you until I know what it is. Amen? Take your prayer sheet. Boy, you're a lively bunch tonight. Can I get an amen there? Amen. At least you do agree with that. Amen. Look at your prayer sheet. I want you to look at our missionary of the week tonight. We're going to come in just a moment and ask the Spirit of God to work these things into our heart. But I want you to look at our missionary of the week. It is Gerald and, and Kristen Zemer. Many of you know the Zemers. And they're serving in Romania with Titus International. We want to pray for Gerald. We appreciate Gerald and, and uh, the work that he's, God is doing through him and, and the work he's had, the part he's had in his church through the years through Word of Life and different things. Our church of the week is Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Powder Springs. Brother Lamar Rackley is the pastor. And the reason we, this is our church of the week, I've been mentioning now for two or three weeks here, asking you to pray for C.L. Roach. C.L.'s preached here a couple of times. Evangelist's been an evangelist for a number of years, many, many years, 30, 40 years, I guess. But uh, Brother C.L. went home to be with the Lord. His funeral's tomorrow at Powder Springs and here at, at uh, Pleasant Hill. But this is his home church. But the CL is a faithful member of this church and teaches and is taught in their Bible school and has had a very, very important role in Powder Springs Baptist Church or Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. And so this, uh, Brother CL, is a loss to so many, to so many, uh, but especially to this church. And I want us to pray for them tonight. The funeral's tomorrow. Lord willing, I'm planning on going down to the funeral. But I want to remember Brother Rackley and all the members. Of course, let's remember Mrs. Roach and the children, all of these. Let's be praying for them. And then our hospital list, Juanita Warnick at Huntsville. And then Barbara Cole, Bobby's daughter, still at Memorial. I want to continue to pray for her. Gail Puckett. And this is one of the young ladies that comes with Kathy. I want to pray for her. And then Patty's mother, Louise Smedley, in Charleston, West Virginia. So all of these I want you to pray for. I want you to come now. Three things. This is the way we do every close out every Wednesday night service. Do three things. One, you come to pray for the missionary of the week. Two, you come to pray for the church of the week. And thirdly, you come to ask God to work the truth of God you've heard tonight into your heart. You see, God's promises are true. Do you believe that? And he may, his methods may vary, but he has a right to do whatever he wants to in our life. And one of the greatest days in your life is when you resign to the fact, dear Lord, you do whatever you want to. It's your right. And whatever thy will is, Lord, that's, that's your right. And you submit to that, knowing that he has a reason behind it. And there'll be times in your life you'll know what he's doing. But there'll be times you won't know what he's doing. But the glorious thing it is about it all is he is doing. And that is what's worth rejoicing about. 
And I want you to come and ask God to work these things into your heart. Will you come? Let's pray for Sunday. Let's pray for the Lord's Day. Let's pray that the hand of God will be on the service this Sunday. Pray for the anointing of the Spirit of God, the power of God to be upon us. But let's come and remember these things. And let's pray tonight and lift these things up to God. And let's really pour our hearts out to the Lord for all of these matters. All of you across the building. If you don't come to the altar, every one of you, I want you to pray. Let's pray now. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you tonight for your word. And I want to thank you, Lord, for examples in the Bible that teach us something about you and how you operate in our life. I want to thank you, first of all, that your word is true. I am thankful tonight that I have a Bible that I can depend on and depend in. And the promises of your word are true. Lord, any promise you've made to us, I know that I can depend on it because you cannot lie and your promises are reliable. Thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the workings of God in our lives. We don't always understand what you're doing. We thank God for the times that we do. And you work in our ways and so in our lives in so many different ways. But dear Lord, we just want to thank you tonight that you have an interest in us, that you want to do something in us and for us. There may be someone here tonight going through a period of time in their life, they don't know what you're doing. And it may seem to be without reason or rhyme. Lord, help them to realize tonight that you always have a reason. Again, Lord, in anything you do in our life, there is a divine purpose. So help us just to submit to the fact that you are our God, you are our Father, and you are our Lord, and that you're working your eternal purposes out in our life. So thank you, Lord, for the truth of God. Work it into us now in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for our missionary of the week, for Brother Gerald and his wife, Zemers. I pray you bless them there in Romania. Bless their work there. Use them, Lord, for the glory of God. Keep the uh, hearts of the, uh, all Eastern Europe open to the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for how you've opened the Eastern Europe up over the past few years. The wall has come down, and many, many Russians and others have heard the gospel as a result of what you've done. We thank you. Bless him there in Romania. We pray tonight for Brother Lamar, for his folks and the church. We pray you bless them, dear God. I know that they feel deeply the loss of Brother C.L. Roach. We all do. What a dear friend and what a joy it has been through the years and the privilege, Lord, to, to preach here with him and to be on this Bible conference with him. And I thank you, Lord, for just letting me know him. We ask you, Lord, to bless Miss Roach tonight and bless all the family and the children. Be with them tomorrow. But we do pray for Pleasant Hill and the great loss uh, that they have experienced. Touch them now, and may the grace of God be real to every one of them. For our own dear folk tonight that have needs, we pray for them. Pray you touch them for one need to touch her. For Barbara, we still pray, Lord, for her, and we pray for her salvation. Touch her physically in order that she might be saved. For Lord, we pray for Sunday. God, anoint us and give us a great day. May the power of God be upon the services. God, just teach you. Teach us about yourself. Introduce yourself to us in ways we've never known before. God, just take this church and move it forward and lift it higher and higher and higher. Thank you for all you've done, how you've met needs. We put all these things in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Are you glad you came to church on Wednesday night? Say amen. Well, I'll tell you what. There's no danger in most of you becoming Pentecostal. That's for certain. Amen. Are you glad you came tonight? Say amen. amen. Or oh me. Great. 
Don't ever be inhibited in praising God vocally and visibly. Give him offerings of praise. You're dismissed. Fellowship as you leave tonight.